chapter 3. Beginning with verse 1, we're going to look at the signs that precede the coming of the Lord. The signs. Now, what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to be reading a lot of Scripture because I want you to be able to see it in the Bible. I want you to read it in the Bible. You know, sometimes we preach on prophecy in the end times and the signs that precede His coming. And I think a lot of times once the preaching is done, we go out and we forget all, all, all the signs that precede His coming. So I'm going to read the Scriptures, most of them, and I'm going to let you read with me so you'll get them in your spirit, okay? Because they are very important. If the Lord gave us signs that point to His coming, then uh, we don't want to stop and just look at the sign, but it's pointing to, to something, and that is the fact that the Lord is about to return. So let's go into the Word of the Lord first of all. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, and we will begin with the negative signs, and then we will end with the positive signs. We will talk about the judgments in relationship to His second coming and uh, the reward of the church. So 2 Timothy chapter 3. How many of y'all believe we're in the last days? Second Timothy 3 verse 1, it says, This know also that in the last days, say the last days. And you need to understand something. There is a last days for Israel, and there's a last days for the church, so on and so forth. So you have to look at the context of what he's talking about. So in the last days, this would be before the coming of Jesus Christ, um, he says that perilous times shall come. Perilous times shall come. <clears throat> Four, men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. Speak to us and through us, God. Prepare us for your coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> 318 times in the New Testament, the coming of the Lord is made reference to. Every New Testament writer speaks of the second coming of Jesus. He is going to come. There are signs that the Lord gave the church that precede His coming so that we can know when we're in that time, in that season, uh, and we are to prepare for His coming. I've read to you the first one, and this is going to be a, a series or a line of scriptures that deal with the negative signs uh, that point to His coming. So again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at it with me please. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Now I feel like I'm reading a little bit too fast. I hope you're getting the words, okay? Because the Lord is saying these are signs that precede His coming. <clears throat> 
Okay? False accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, that means prideful, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, that means they're religious, a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And what does the Bible say? From such, turn away. Okay? So that is a negative sign. Many, many things in that passage that talks about before the coming of the Lord in the last days. Now let's go over into Luke 17. In the Gospel of Luke, the 17th chapter, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks of a sign that is related to the days of Noah and the days of Lot. So Luke 17, please turn there. All right, verse 26, Jesus said in Luke 17, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat. Anything wrong with eating? No. They drank. They married wives. Anything wrong with marrying a wife? No. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So right before the flood came, the judgment of God came, they were living a normal life. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage, and obviously that speaks of multiple marriages. Um, So living life as usual. And then all of a sudden, as they're living life as usual, they're caught by surprise, the flood comes. Okay? So now what we see in the passage is that things that are not normally bad have become evil in the sense that they have distracted people away from the Lord. And so the Lord says, just like the days of Noah were when they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, so on and so forth, so are the days of the Son of Man. So he's telling us that there will be a time when people will be living. They'll be eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, so on, and living a normal life, but they're going to be so focused on the things of this world that they will not prepare for what is about to come on this world. So it's important for us as we live a normal life that we don't get so caught up in the things of the world that we miss the reality of the coming of Jesus Christ. So he goes on and he says also about Lot. Verse 28. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So they weren't expecting it. They were uh, just living, as it says, a normal, normal life. It says something about them that they planted even. And they built. And they sold. In the Old Testament, the Bible says they rose up to play. The prophets, one of the things the prophets pointed out about Sodom and their destruction is that they rose up to play. So not only were they going about and living a normal life, 
uh, as the Bible is telling us here in this passage, but they rose up to play. So they were so focused on playing that in that playing, they didn't understand the judgment was fixing to fall upon them. Okay? Say amen. All right. Obviously, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah had some real problems in it. There was homosexuality. It was rampant. Rampant in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so I think as well as it says they rose up to play, it has something to do with their immoral lifestyle. Can you see that around us today as a sign? Can you see people living what seems to be a normal life but don't have time for God? Right? You see a rise in homosexuality. Well, I will say this to you, and this may surprise you. Homosexuality is not as prevalent as you think it is. Okay? I have a news report, a video report on my iPhone where they reported the statistics, and I don't have those statistics with me. It's not, I don't have my phone with me. But what happens is the media, Hollywood, okay? The media, Hollywood, and the liberal media try to ram homosexuality down our throat and they try to make it appear as it's something that most people want in the United States of America. But according to the statistics, that is not the case at all. It is not as prevalent as you think it is. It's, it's not like everybody wants to be a homosexual. But Hollywood wants you to think that. Amen. So they, they deceive you, delude us into thinking that this is the way it, our whole nation's going. That's not the way the whole nation's going. That's good news. That's the way Hollywood's going. That's the way the liberal media's going. But the everyday person out there on the streets, very few people in Odessa, Texas as a whole are homosexuals. Did you know that? You see quite a few of them maybe in restaurants, but really in this city, there's not very many homosexuals in comparison to the overall population. So just because Hollywood tries to paint the picture like this is an accepted thing and this is what everybody wants in our nation, you know, and it's not. It is not reality. Does that make sense to you? Okay, that might surprise you, but that's the truth. But we do see a rise of homosexual. It's coming out of the closet now. It used to be done behind doors in secret, but now it's more out there. It's more up front. It's more put in your face by Hollywood, so on and so forth. It's not something that is sort of a private thing anymore. They're trying to shove it down our throats. Okay? So that's the difference. Now, so the Bible is very clear that as in the days of Noah and also the days of Lot, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. That lets us know that in the last days before the Lord comes back, it's going to be very evil. And people are going to be distracted by life and then the judgment of God is going to come. It's going to catch them by surprise. Okay, say amen. Now, another sign. Famines, pestilence, earthquakes. Matthew 24. Most of these signs you're familiar with. Matthew 24. Jesus went out on the Mount of Olives. He sat down on the Mount of Olives. And <clears throat> His disciples asked Him a question. Uh, about His coming, about the signs that were pre preceded His coming. And so, Jesus, 
as he's sitting there on the Mount of Olives, departing from the temple, he told his disciples, he pointed to the temple, he told them that not one stone would be left upon another. Okay? That happened in the year 70 A.D., just like he said it would. So, first thing is, not one stone would be left upon another. And then, verse 3, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the age? You with me? When shall these things be? What things? The destruction of the temple. Jesus doesn't answer that first question. He tells them uh, that there won't be one stone left upon another. He prophesies the destruction of the temple, 70 A.D. He doesn't tell them when in the passage in Matthew 24 that's going to happen. Okay? The other gospel, uh, the gospel of Luke answers that question. Does that make sense? Okay. So he focuses on the last two questions, which are, what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the age? The end of the age. Not the end of the world as we know it, but the end of the age. You with me? So Jesus begins to give them signs. Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. You shall hear of wars, rumors of wars, do we see that in the world today? Yeah. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famine, pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So he lets us know signs here, records them right here, and this parallels Revelation chapter 6. Rider on a white horse, rider on red horse, rider on a black horse, rider on a pale green horse, so on and so forth. Matthew 24 and Revelation 6 go together. So he's telling you before he returns, these specific signs will be in the world. All right, wars, famines, pestilences, and earthquakes. Right? What is a major scare right now in the world? According to the news. Ebola. For the first time in the history of the United States of America, somebody with Ebola is in the U.S. There has never been and this, this Ebola disease or sickness in the United States ever. Nobody's ever had it. And I pray to God for the two people that have it that they recover and everything. But I'm just letting you know this is the first time that it's ever been on U.S. soil. So, I mean, it's a very dangerous, dangerous sickness. But the Bible's anyway, the Bible's telling us these signs, wars, famines, pestilence, earthquakes are going to be in the earth as a sign of the coming of the Lord. Now, another one, James chapter 5, is an increase in wealth. Now, if you think in the last days before the coming of the Lord, everything is going to be bad economically, that is not a reality. The fact that the world is, in a sense, or the United States of America specifically, and other parts of the world, are prospering financially is a sign of the coming of the Lord. 
James chapter 5, verse 1. Go to now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered. And the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped up treasure together for the last days. So this is telling us that there's going to be a heaping up of wealth and a heaping up of treasure when? In the last days. Behold the hire of laborers who have reaped down, reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Okay? You have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of what? The Lord. Behold, the husbandman, that's the farmer, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth near. So this passage is very clear that in the last days there is going to be an increase in wealth. People gathering, uh, heaping together riches. Alright? Not a total collapse of the economy worldwide. It is going to be actually the opposite of, of that. An increase in wealth. Okay? Now, persecution and tribulation is a sign that precedes the coming of the Lord. Go back to Matthew 24, 9 through 10. Persecution and tribulation. All right, verse 9, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive uh, many. So the Bible is very clear there that there is going to be persecution uh, in the last days upon the church. Persecution and tribulation. Now go to 1 Timothy. Uh, let me see here. Chapter 4, verse 1. Deception in the last days. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. And this deception is particularly uh, connected to a rise in the occult. Demons, demonology. Alright? Deception by demons. So let me turn there in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Okay? Sign of the last days, latter times. Some shall depart from the faith. What is going to cause them to depart from the faith. They're going to give heed to seducing spirits 
and doctrines of demons. So there's going to be a rise of deception in the end times and the deception is going to be so strong. Jesus said if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. So if you are the elect of God, He said, if it were, I don't believe it's possible if you're the elect of God and you're walking with God the way you're supposed to. But Jesus said, so you'll understand, that the deception is going to be so great that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. How many of you believe you're the elect of God? So deception is going to be rampant in the last days before the coming of the Lord. And Jesus is emphasizing how much deception will be there that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. Now, and if it were possible, he doesn't say you will be deceived. He said if it were possible, he's telling you how much deception is going to be out there. And it's going to be a demonic deception because the Spirit uh, speaks expressly that in the last days, amen, many shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So in the last days, the people leaving the church, it's not just because they want to leave the church. They have yielded their life to deception, to demonic spirits. Amen. So there is, in the prophecy here of Jesus, a prophecy that people will depart from the faith in the last days because of this uh, rise of occult activity that will take place. Now, false prophets, I already read that to you in Matthew 24, 5 and 11, especially in America. Our country is full of false prophets. There are churches all over Odessa, Texas that are in the pulpits they are they may be sincere to a point but they are false prophets and our nation is filled with false prophets and uh, you can listen to a false prophet anytime you want to on the radio or the television all you got to do is turn it on either one of them and you will be inundated with false doctrine by false prophets that's a sign of the last days false christ false anointed ones that will come and deceive the church of the living God. That is a sign. Okay, praise the Lord. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about, as did Timothy, an apostasy that will take place. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul, speaking to the church in... Thessalonica. Now remember that church, as soon as it was founded in the book of Acts, as soon as the church was started in Thessalonica, it came under a persecution, immediate persecution. It's not like the church got established and after it was there for a while, then they started coming under attack. As soon as that church got started by the Apostle Paul, they came under severe, intense persecution. To the point that Paul had to leave Thessalonica. Because his being there would endanger the work, the church. That's how severe it was. And so the Apostle Paul writes back to them. And uh, if we read First and Second Thessalonians together, we find out that they were afraid that they had missed the rapture. Because they're under severe persecution. They think they're in the tribulation period. And, and, and they think uh, that Paul wrote them a letter 
and told them that the Lord had come back. They felt like they had missed the rapture of the church because they were in that time of persecution. So what Paul does is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he tells them, you haven't missed the rapture. You're in a time of persecution right now, but you haven't missed the rapture. He said there's some things that have to happen before the Lord comes back. Okay? And so he tells us what they are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Are you with me? All right, Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse one. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. He's he's telling you um, um, that he's going to be teaching about the rapture, what we call the rapture. It comes from the Latin word raptiso, rapture. The word rapture is not in the Bible. The word caught up is in the Bible. That word caught up means to be snatched out with great force and great power. But the Latin word raptiso. Uh, is where we get the word, the English word rapture from. Y'all understand the word rapture, right? Yeah. It's when the Lord comes back and raptures us or catches the church out of the earth and we go to meet Him in the air. Everybody understand what the rapture is? So the Bible says it's our gathering together unto Him. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, we will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. So it's a catching up, it's a snatching up by great force and great power. That's what the rapture is. So he says to the church, he's going to comfort the Thessalonian church, and he tells them, I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, is that the day of Christ is at hand. You haven't missed the rapture of the church. You're troubled in your mind. You're troubled in your spirit. Uh, evidently there was a counterfeit letter that was floating around through their assembly that they thought came from Paul. They thought they had missed the rapture of the church. So you can imagine, as a believer, you, you think you missed the rapture of the church A persecution has hit the church and you're suffering intensely and Jesus came back and you were left behind. You can imagine how much fear those people must have had. So Paul is going to comfort them. He's telling them, I don't want you to be troubled. In spirit, alright? In word, or by letter as from us, is at the day of Christ, let no man, verse 3, deceive you by any means for that day. That day, which means the, the rapture, the gathering of the church to Him. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first. So He says before. Now it's really clear. The Bible's really clear. He doesn't say the church is going to be gathered to the Lord and then these things will happen. It says these things will happen before the gathering of the church to the Lord. So he's saying to the Thessalonian church that is in fear that they've missed the rapture, he said there's some things that's going to happen before he gathers you. Okay, now I want you to see that. Because most people interpret the Bible just the opposite. They say, well, the church is going to be raptured and then the Antichrist is going to come. The church is going to be raptured and then the Antichrist is going to come. But Paul says, before the church is raptured or gathered to the Lord, he said, this, this is what's going to happen. 
He said, number one, there's going to be a great falling away first. We get the English word apostasy from it. Okay? So a sign of the coming of the Lord is when you begin to see apostasy in the church. People begin to fall out of the church. A falling away before He gathers. Now you're with me today. That is a sign. So before He comes and raptures us, then you have this falling away first. And then He says, and that wicked one, and the man... Okay, you with me? There's going to be a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He said, so before he comes and gathers the church, there are two specific things that have to happen. Number one, there's going to be an apostasy or falling away of people out of the church. Number two, the Antichrist, we'll use that term so you'll understand, the man of sin, the son of perdition, is going to be revealed. The Antichrist hasn't been revealed yet. Now, I believe that we're starting to see glimpses of the falling away, the apostasy of the church. Now, listen to your pastor very carefully. Apostasy doesn't just happen like that. It's not like, okay, one day you're in the church on fire and the next day, boom, you're out of the church living in the world. It doesn't happen like that. There is a spirit that comes upon an individual. It's a, if you will, a backsliding spirit. It's a falling away spirit. And they may sit in the church for a year, two, three, five years maybe before they actually leave, but they're already apostate in the pew. And that's why sometimes you'll see somebody in the church and <clears throat> all of a sudden they're gone. You think, wow, that happened so quick. They were in, but now they're out. They've been thinking about it, planning it for a long time. So apostasy is not just a one-day event. Apostasy is something that takes place. It can be a gradual falling away from the Lord. Okay? But if I understand the Word of God... It's going to be massive. It's not going to be just a few people here and there that are going to fall away from God. It's going to be so definite and so distinct that He says this is a sign that will take place. You know the coming of the Lord is near because people are going to fall away in large numbers. It's, it's, very, it's a very definite event. Okay? Now, say praise the Lord. And the second thing is, the Antichrist will be revealed. After those two things happen, the falling away and the Antichrist is revealed, then he will gather the church. Obviously, post-tribulationally, he gathers the church. All right? Let's keep reading. You, you with me? So instead of a pre-tribulation rapture and a pre-Antichrist rapture, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that there will be a falling away from the church and the Antichrist, then he will come and gather us to himself. So clear and so simple. He continues. Verse 5. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth, that means hold back, restrain, 
will let until he be taken out of the way. So the Lord says, there's something that's holding the Antichrist back from being revealed. Okay? That restrainer. Now, the, many people interpret that. The Holy Ghost is restraining the Antichrist from being revealed. And so the church has to be raptured out. And the Spirit of God has to be taken up off of planet Earth so the Antichrist can be revealed. The Bible doesn't say that the restrainer is the Holy Ghost-filled church. That's read into the text. Are you with me? You understand that there's something holding back the Antichrist from being revealed? Does the Bible say it's the Holy Ghost? Does the Bible say it's the church? The Bible doesn't say that. You have to go to the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 10 and Daniel chapter 12 where the Bible is very clear as to what holdeth. Who is it that holds the Antichrist back? It's Michael the archangel. Daniel chapter 10 and Daniel chapter 12 are very clear that what holds the Antichrist back from being revealed is not the Holy Ghost, it's not the church, it's Michael the archangel. We've already taught this to you when we went through the book of Daniel. But we know that he's being restrained right now. He's being held back right now. Now, the Bible says that he will be taken out of the way. He'll stop restraining. He'll stop holding back. When he does that, the Scripture says, Then shall the wicked be revealed, verse 8, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his parousia, his coming. That means when he literally comes back, all right? He destroys him with his what? At his what? His coming. The brightness of his coming. So when he comes back, he destroys the Antichrist and gathers the church. There's not, there's not one coming for the church and then another coming when he comes back to destroy the Antichrist. His coming for the church and his coming to destroy the Antichrist is the same event. You with me? So what precedes his coming is a falling away from the church and, are you here? The Antichrist being revealed after the restrainer stops holding back. After he is revealed, then the Lord destroys him at his coming. And when he comes, the Bible is very clear, he gathers the elect to himself. Okay? It's very simple to understand prophecy as long as you don't try to read into the Bible. Okay? Look at it. So the Lord will destroy him with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. What will protect you and keep you from falling away and being... Now, the title of my message is this. Are you an end time sign? Look at your neighbor and help me preach. Are you an end time sign? You with me? What will keep us from being a part of the great falling away that precedes His second coming and what keeps us from being deceived by the Antichrist as the church is that we receive a love for the truth that we might be saved. People that fall away 
and joined the Antichrist in the tribulation period are people who did not receive a love for the truth. Listen, church, it's not enough to know the truth. You've got to love the truth with all of your heart. You have to love it. You have to have a passion for it. If you don't love the truth, the Bible says, because they did not receive a love for the truth that they might be saved, God will send them a strong delusion and they will believe the lie and be damned. So what protects you and I from falling away in the last days and being that end time sign, a part of it, is loving the truth of God's Word with all of our heart. Are y'all here with me today? Because if I don't love the truth, the Bible says, it's clear, I'll fall away. And God will send a strong delusion to me. And let me tell you something. It's one thing to have the enemy working against you, trying to deceive you. But when God Himself says, I'm going to send a delusion to that person because they didn't receive a love for the truth. Hallelujah. They heard the truth. They knew what the truth was. But because they didn't love it, they fell away from it and said, now, there's a point that God says, all right, I now put a delusion on you. And that comes from God. Who can resist a delusion from God? And the Bible says they will believe the lie and be damned. They're going to take the mark of the beast. They're going to believe the lie and be damned. Amen. That's why we have to have a love for the truth of God's Word. And we have to know the signs that point to His coming. And one of those signs is a great falling away will take place. But I want to love God's Word. Hallelujah. I'm, now, how can you love it? By making up your mind. I love God's Word. It's number one in my life. Say praise the Lord. As our brother Emma said last Sunday night to the church, he said, if you don't love Him with all your heart, you don't really love Him. God wants me to love Him. He wants me to love His Word. I, I can preach the Word of God to you. I can teach you the Word of God, but I can't make you love it. you got to get that for yourself. <laughs> And I'm not fishing for anything. I'm, I'm just testifying tonight. A sister came to me this morning and said, Pastor, I'm so thankful for the Word of God that you preach. I'm thankful for, for the teaching of God's Word. And she just expressed just a love for the Word of God. That's what you have to have in the last days. <clears throat> There's a love for the Word of God. I can't make you love it. I, you just That's something you have to develop in your own self. And if you do, you won't be a sign in the end time. Now look at your neighbor and help me preach. Are you a sign in the end time? Are you going to be a part of that falling away? Or are you going to continue to love the Word of the Lord and be a part of the rapture of the church? you got to fight. <clears throat> Listen, church, every one of us, including your pastor, I'm human just like you. I've got to fight that spirit of, uh, of falling away, that spirit that, that wants me to get carnal and backslid and lukewarm. I've got to fight it just like you've got to fight it. But Jesus gave, it the, gave us these warnings so we would not become victims. We'd not lose our walk with God. You... You've got to fight. 
You, you have to keep your love burning. Your love's going cold. Hallelujah. Because iniquity shall abound. The verse Matthew 24 says, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. Because rebellion's on the rise, the love of many is going to grow cold. That is a prophecy. Don't be an end time sign. Refuse to be an end time sign. Refuse the, to be the person that because of iniquity is abounding that your love is growing cold. I'm not going to let my love grow cold. I'm not going to let it happen to me. I'm not going to let deception <clears throat> take over my life. I'm not going to fall away out of the church of the living God. Because I love Him and I love His Word. And I'm going to keep that love. I'm going to keep it burning. I'm going to keep the fire burning. Hallelujah. So these are signs that precede the coming of the Lord. Help me preach. Look at your neighbor and say, are you an end time sign? I mean, I'm talking about right here in the church. Am I an end time sign? Where's my love today? Do I still have a passion <coughs> for Him? Hallelujah. You know, I was talking to Sister B, Brother Thomas, yesterday, and I was sharing with him, I heard on the news, uh, this you know, relayed to me from the news by my wife, that there was an individual in Babylon, you know, in Babylon right now, the um, professing Christians there are being persecuted by Islam. And, um, and so it's either convert, pay, or die. If you're a Christian, you got you can convert to Muslim, to Islam, or you can pay, or you can die. And so, one of the professing Christians uh, in the the church in in Babylon converted to Islam to save his life. He recanted. He renounced the Lord Jesus Christ. They killed him anyway. And Brother Thomas looked at me and he said, they can't even stand a coward. Now you think about that. People making decisions because they think it's going to save their life, but in saving trying to save their life, they lost their life. It's a serious thing, isn't it? we got to know, I love God. I've got a passion for God. I'm making up, listen church, you don't decide when you get in a time of heavy persecution, when you're facing death, and somebody's about to cut your head off. Church, that's not the time that you decide what you're going to do. You have to make up, make that decision right now. So there's no guesswork. There's no surprise there. Because I know if it, ha if, if I'm faced with that, if I'm faced with persecution like that, I can't fall away. I can't renounce Him. So I'm making my decision tonight that if my life is required in order to continue to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, I make a decision to lay down my life tonight. 
You know, it's sort of like if you're dating, you don't make a decision in the heat of the matter not to go too far. Because if, if you make the decision in the heat of the moment, you won't do what's right. You have, if you're dating somebody, you gotta make up your mind. We're gonna set boundaries. We're gonna put a, hold on a minute. We're gonna put a Bible between us. And, and, you know what I'm saying? If you're gonna to get to me, I'm gonna to get to you. We're gonna to have to crawl over this Bible. You make up your mind before you get in that moment what you're gonna do, and that will protect you from failure. Because in the heat of the moment, you already lost the battle. Hallelujah. And I've been around long enough, I know. But when you talk about being persecuted, you're talking about making a decision either to convert to a false religion or to continue in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got to make that decision right now. <laughs> because there is a spirit that's coming after you. It's a demon that's coming after you. He'll track you down, chase you down. And if you rebel, he'll come inside of you. You gotta make up your mind right now. I'm walking with the Lord. Because if you don't, you will have opportunity to leave Him. Say praise the Lord. Now you might wonder where that's coming from, but I'm gonna tell you something. There's a spirit right now that I'm trying, um, to, to get out of here. Cause I want somebody to make it. I want somebody to be saved. But you, you, you have to make up your mind right now. You have to choose right now who, who your Lord is. Who your God is. How you're going to live your life for Him. And what are you going to do if they require your life? You've got to make that decision right now. Because it's coming in the last days. Do you, do you believe what I'm saying to you? <clears throat> you make up your mind right now, and then when you're faced, faced with it, you don't fail. And then you say, but I don't know if I've got faith. <clears throat> when well, do I have the faith to lay down my life for Jesus in the last days? You might not have it right now because you don't need that kind of faith right now. Because there's nobody coming to get you to take you out, laying you down to the guillotine, or cutting you, cutting your head off with the sword of Allah. So you don't need that kind of faith right now. You need faith tomorrow to get up to go to work. You need faith to, tomorrow, amen, to believe God that He's going to take care of your finances. You know? You need faith in God, amen, to stay married. You don't need faith right now to lay down your life. But if it comes, if it's, you know, then God will give you 
the faith you need. It's called, it's a gift of the Spirit. It's the gift of faith. See, you have faith in God. You're saved. You have faith in God, faith in His Word. But there's what's called the gift of faith. That supernatural faith that comes on you when you need it. If I don't need faith for a miracle tonight, then there's that operation is not there. But if I need a miracle, a gift of faith can be released in my life. And then I have the kind of faith to see the dead raised. But if there's nobody dead in the church, I don't have to have that kind of faith. But if somebody dies in the church, the Holy Ghost says, I want to raise them from the dead. Then I've got to have a gift from a faith from God that says, Church, God's going to raise this person from the dead. And the same thing will happen. The persecution of the church. You make up your mind right now. You're going to live for Him. You made up your, your mind. You're going to serve Him. Hallelujah. You're not going to let your love grow cold. You're not going to fall away. And if, it, if your life is required, you make up your mind tonight and you trust God for supernatural faith to come at that time. What a horrible loss that is. To renounce Jesus Christ, convert to Islam, and they kill you anyway. So this is a sign of the last days, apostasy, the Antichrist. But love the truth. If you do, you won't be deceived. You won't fall for the lie. How many of y'all hear the word of the Lord tonight? Now, I'm not going to read all of these scriptures. See, I, I stayed a long time on that one. But one of the signs of the last days, kingdoms in conflict. We see kingdoms in conflict. You can read Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 11, so on and so forth. Uh, kingdoms in conflict. Revelation 13. You with me? Revelation 19, 11 through 21, it talks about the gathering of armies in Israel. Hallelujah. Israel is going to be a cup of trembling to all people, to all nations. What that means is that the nations in the world, they're not going to know what to do with Israel. They're going to be a cup of trembling to all the nations, including the United States of America. At some point, the United States of America is going to turn its back on Israel. When it does, your hope is over. Amen? As a nation, not as a church. But as a nation. And so the Bible tells us in the last days there's going to be a huge gathering of armies from all over the world against Israel. It's called the War of Armageddon. That is a sign, a clear sign from the Word of the Lord. Kingdoms in conflict. Revelation 19 talks about that War of Armageddon, the gathering of armies into Israel to destroy them. You with me here? Could it be right now that we are, what we are seeing is, and we always have to hold that possibility out, what we're seeing right now is Israel fights with Hamas. You with me? Now the United States of America is involved dropping bombs. I don't think they're doing it's very effective. Not yet. 
But even the President of the United States said that it could be a long-term conflict. Not a few weeks, not a few months, but a long-term conflict. Think about this. So now, the most powerful nation in the world, I still believe the United States is, most powerful military nation in the world, is now involved in the Middle East fighting Islam. The Bible tells me the end time conflict that will be the kingdoms in conflict is going to be connected to Islam. If you look at Ezekiel 38, so on and so forth, those are Muslim nations today. The prophecy about Russia invading into the Middle East and, and those people that Russia will arm are Muslim nations. You with me? It is possible that what we're seeing right now could escalate. Especially with the United States being involved and our president saying it could be long term. This could escalate into the very battles that the Lord talked about. In the, uh, the, the God talked about Ezekiel 38, the Russian invasion uh, into the Middle East along with his uh, Muslim Islamic allies. You with me? Russia's in the news. Russian bear rising up. We got Israel in conflict with Hamas, the Palestinians. Remember we went through the Minor Prophets? The Bible told us about that that was a sign of the last days when the Palestinians would be in conflict with Israel. So without going and looking at all the passages, because I've got a lot to preach tonight, we already see the powers the Bible talked about in the last days. There will be in contact, a conflict with Israel like Russia. You with me? The king in the north, Babylon. The Palestinians, right now, United States of America, involved in the conflict. It could very well be that right now, while you sit in this church, that we are literally seeing the beginning of an ongoing campaign which will go into and flow into the War of Armageddon. Okay? To me, that's exciting. For some of you that might scare you, you have to, but it doesn't scare me. I'm excited because Jesus said that kingdom will rise against kingdom, nation against nation. So this is the beginning of sorrows. He said, but the end is not yet. But we know Revelation 19, when all these armies turn on, uh, you know, go into Israel and fight there, that definitely announced the coming of the Lord back to the earth. So I'm just saying. We are seeing the beginning stages of the very players the Bible talked about right now involved in conflict. Babylon. <laughs> Worldwide system called Babylon. Babylon in the last days being a worldwide system is a sign of the coming of the Lord. And the fact that we have so much news focusing on Babylon, I'm talking about literal Babylon today, is very significant. Because the Bible tells us, without reading it, Revelation 17, Revelation 18, 
Isaiah 47, Isaiah 48. Those prophecies in Revelation, the prophet Isaiah, even Jeremiah 50 and 51, those prophecies could be about literal Babylon. Okay, you with me here? The Bible is very clear that the Babylonian system will affect the world in the last days. This scripture is very clear. You have time, read it. Revelation 17 and 18. Revelation 17 and 18 present to us a religious Babylon, an economical Babylon, a political Babylon. Three Babylons. Religious Babylon, political Babylon, economic Babylon. It's a Babylonian system that's going to affect the world in the last days. Are you here? Zechariah chapter 5 tells us that wickedness will return back to its original home. And its original home is the land of Shinar, Babylon. Wickedness is going to be transferred as a woman in a basket, an ephod, covered with a lead lid on the top of it, keep trying to keep her down. And this woman called wickedness is going to be carried by storks, two storks, to the land of Shinar and placed back in her original base. The whole point I'm saying by the word of the Lord, let's go to Zechariah chapter 5, is that God says in the last days, Babylon, literal Babylon, will be a major worldwide system. Okay? The scriptures I gave you, you have time to read Revelation 17 and 18, Isaiah 47 and 48. But Zechariah 5 is the one I want to read to you right now. <laughs> and I'm, listen, I'm not reaching for stuff. Okay? I, I, I'm not trying to make something fit that's in the news. I'm just giving you the Bible. And I'm telling you what the Bible says. A sign of the last days that Babylon will be a, a system that affects the world. And we've told you, we've preached it before, that I told you, I believe that literal Babylon, not just mystical Babylon, mystery Babylon, or Revelation 17, mystery Babylon is, is, is not literal. It's mystical. It's a system that's of Babylon. But I've told you, I believe literal Babylon will be a major player in the last day world system. Literal Babylon. Zechariah chapter 5, turn there. And we get that from this passage. You have to be careful with terms. You have to remember terms. It says mystery Babylon. It's not talking about literal Babylon. Okay? We have to listen to what God says. But in Zechariah chapter 5, we see a prophecy that is about literal Babylon geographically. It's called the land of Shinar. It's not mystical. It's not mythical. It doesn't represent something else. It is the land of Shinar. It's literal Babylon, modern day Iraq. Okay? Zechariah chapter 5, the Bible tells us. Verse 5 Then the angel that talked with me went forth. It'd be pretty awesome, wouldn't it, be a prophet? Especially a prophet like Zechariah, get one vision after a vision. I mean, the same night. Same night. He didn't get one vision, have to wait a night and get another vision, wait a night. Same night, vision, 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 vision. That, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? I think it'd be cool to be Zechariah. 
until they take you out and cut your head off. Remember Jesus talked about Zachariah being slain between the porch and the altar? Probably was this Zachariah right here. That's what you get for being a prophet of the Lord. Take you out and cut your head off. Or kill you, whatever, how they did it. However they, they killed him. Look at your neighbor and say, prophets are wanted. No, no they're not. Prophets are not wanted. Prophets are needed. Look at your neighbor and say, prophets are needed. They're not wanted. I'd love to be a prophet. Let it be like Zachariah getting all these visions in one night, and then they take you out and kill you. That's... Verse 5 Then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, Lift up now thine eyes and see what is, what is this that goeth forth. I said, What is it? He said, This is an ephah that goeth forth. He said, Moreover, this is their resemblance through all, where the earth? Through all the earth. This ephod speaks of commerce. Ephod, it's, it's commerce, it's economics. Okay? Through all the earth, and behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead, and this is a woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephod. So now we, we lift the lid, this heavy lead lid, and we find out sitting in this basket, this commerce, a woman sitting there. Now remember, we've taught you before, a woman in the Bible either represents the church of Jesus Christ or it represents the harlot. And so they look in this basket which represents commerce. They see this woman, she's called wickedness, sitting in the basket and there's been a lid on top of it trying to keep her down. Verse 8, he said, this is, he tells you who she is. This is wickedness. He cast it into the midst of the ephah. He cast the weight of the lead upon the mouth thereof. Then lifted I up my eyes and looked. And behold, there came out two women. And the wind was in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the ephod between the earth and the heaven. So now we got two women that look like storks. They needed to work on their interior Abductors. Oh, you don't even know what that is. Anyway. They look like two storks. <laughs> anyway, they're flying. And they're carrying that ephod with wickedness in it. Now what are they going to carry? Where are they going to carry her? And there must have been ugly women. Some ugly women, man. Aren't you glad you're the bride? Amen. So they lifted up that ephod representing commerce between the earth and heaven. Then said I to the angel that talked with me, Whither do these bear the ephod? And he said unto me, To build in a house to build it and house in the land of Shinar. 
wickedness in commerce is going to be transported back to its original base, Babylon. Babylon, according to this passage, will influence the whole earth. It, there's something that's going to happen to Babylon in the last days that will cause her to prosper. And wickedness is going to be carried right back to that, that former base in the land of Shinar. And you see what's happening? It's going to set its headquarters up. Right there in the land of Babylon. So anyway, okay, let me move quickly. Babylon, the Babylonian system, will prevail throughout the world. Man, I love it. I love it. I love living for Jesus right now. I love living for God right now. It's exciting. So we have one world religion, Revelation 17. That's mystery Babylon. Revelation 18. Uh, could be literal Babylon. Could be an economic power that's in the earth. Political power. But we know that literal Babylon will be a major player in the last days. Okay? One world religion then is also a sign of the coming of the Lord. So do you hear churches talk about let's all get together. Let's take down our doctrines. Let's get together. Amen? Well, that's a sign of the last days because in case you don't know it, political leaders know that they will never be able to unify the human race without first making that human race religiously one. Once you get people organized religiously, then you can take them over politically. If they, if they become a one world religion, then now a one world government system can come into place. Okay? So one world government, one world religion, and then literal Babylon is what we mean by Babylon influencing the whole world. One world government, one world religion. It's man leaving God out. Babylon is, is when man leaves God out. Leave God out of your finances. Babylon. Leave God out of your religion. Babylon. It's wickedness. And then there's literal Babylon, physical Babylon. The king of the north that will play a major part in the last days. Signs of the coming of the Lord. Then judgments of God in the earth. And we don't have time to read them, but the judgments of God in the earth. What are those judgments? Matthew 24 talks about some of them. But to make it easy for you, revelation. The judgments of God in the earth point to the coming of Jesus. Now this is interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of people teach that the church won't be here in the tribulation period. But the very signs uh, that are in the tribulation period are the things that are pointing to His second coming. And the signs that point to His second coming is God's judgments in the earth. Like what? Seals, trumpets, vials of wrath. Those are the judgments of God in the earth. The Lord said are signs that point to His coming. Now I'm not smart enough in prophecy, but there are some men 
who say that we're around, we're in about the fifth or sixth seal prophetically. Okay? I don't say that, but that's what some say. Wow. So let me repeat myself. The judgments of God in the earth are signs that precede His second coming. Sealed judgments. Start Revelation chapter 6. Go on through. Revelation 6. Okay? Then Revelation 8 starts the trumpet judgments. And then Revelation 15 starts the bowls of wrath judgments. 15 and 16, the bowls of wrath judgments. Those are all judgments. Seals, trumpets, and vows that happen in the earth. They are God's judgments. He calls for them that precede His second coming to the earth. All right, with me? Where God comes and judges the earth and removes everything that hinders His appearing. So those are the negative signs that point to the coming of the Lord. Now help me preach again. Look at your neighbor and say, are you an end time sign? Now let's talk about the positive ones. These are the ones I enjoy. Y'all like positive ones, don't you? Okay. A positive sign that points to the coming of the Lord is the Bible says in Joel chapter 2 that in the last days He would pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. Okay? That's awesome. That in the midst of all of these negative signs He's given us to look for, He says in the last days, here's the positive, I'm going to pour My Spirit out on all flesh. Joel 2, let's turn there. Now how can you have apostasy and revival at the same time? See, if we're not careful, we'll end up the same way that the Hebrews ended up when they looked at the prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus and they couldn't figure out how He could be God and man at the same time. Because there was two streams of prophecy. One said He was God, one said He was a man. And they couldn't figure it out. The New Testament interpreted it. It was both. So how are you going to have apostasy and revival at the same time? Because you've got two streams. They're both a reality. He gives negative signs and positive signs. Joel chapter 2. Are you there? 28 through 32. Somebody read it for me, so I don't have to turn. Who, who wants to read it? Just lift your hand first. Okay, Brother Jared, please read. Please stand. Joel 2, 28 through 32, brother. and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body 
unto the edifying of itself in love. It's a God's good. Ephesians 5. Turn there. <coughs> 523. What's his church going to be like? What's the bride going to be like when he before he comes back? Is it going to be an old, tattered, whipped, defeated, dirty bride? Full of sin, full of failure, full of defeat, full of compromise, wrinkled. What kind of bride is going to be in the earth before the coming of Jesus? Ephesians chapter 5, 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. Everybody look at your husband. If you're a wife, look at your husband and say, you're my head. <laughs> Scream it, Sister Christina. <laughs> Don't forget it. <laughs> For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He's not coming back for defeated dirty church. He's come back for a glorious church. And that church is not going to have spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It's going to be a church. His body's going to be a church on fire in love with Jesus Christ. Pure. It's going to be a holy church. A pure church. A clean church. Without spot. Without wrinkle or any such thing. Doesn't sound to me like he's coming back for a whipped church, defeated church. No, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That's a positive sign. Revelation 7. Before he comes back, the Bible talks about a tremendous harvest of souls that will come into the church in the tribulation period. So as to when there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the last days before it's coming, and as to when we're going to see this developing of this glorious church. When's it going to take place? It's, it's in relationship to His coming. Revelation chapter 7 says it's in the tribulation period. Because John looks up and he sees this innumerable company of people out of every nation, kindred and tongue. And the Lord explains to him, these are they which came out of great tribulation. And they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
such a huge harvest, a tribulation harvest. The Bible says in Revelation 7, they were innumerable. John said, who are these? They come out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. They got palms in their hands, a sign of victory over the Antichrist. Tremendous harvest before the coming of the Lord. It has to be that way, church, because the feast of the Lord have to be fulfilled prophetically. Leviticus 23, the feast of the Lord, Passover. Unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost. We know about those. Historically, they've taken place. But there still has to be the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah. And there has to be the fulfillment of the Day of Atonement. And there has to be the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. And those feasts are about huge in-gatherings in the last days. So those feasts of Leviticus 23 that are prophetic about a huge harvest that's going to come into the kingdom of God. That, especially that seventh feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. When you've got a harvest of all kinds, it's not just wheat, it's not just barley, it's fruit, fruit trees, man. It's the biggest harvest time that there is. The last feast is the largest the largest harvest of all of them. And it has the greatest celebration of all of them. Hallelujah. So by the word of the Lord then, those Leviticus 23 feet, uh, feasts have to be fulfilled which speak of great harvest in the kingdom of God. Revelation 7 shows us the reality of it coming to pass. That is a positive sign. So then what the Bible is teaching us is that there are two streams. There is the stream of darkness increasing and the stream of light increasing at the same time. There is, if you understand, if you could receive this, there is a church called the Church of Philadelphia. It's a church that is a church in revival. You read that about that church, the Church of Philadelphia. It's a church that's in revival. But then, the last church, the seventh church, is the church that is lukewarm. And the Bible says the Lord will spit them out of His mouth. So at the same time, you have a revival church in the earth on fire for God. Philadelphia, the church of love. You have an apostate church running side by side right up to the coming of the Lord. Amen. So you have an increase of darkness, negative signs, and an increase of light, positive signs that point to the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. Proverbs, turn to Proverbs, please, in chapter 4. <clears throat> How many I want to be the church of Philadelphia? Amen. Ooh, glory to God. Just read about that church when you have time. <coughs> Proverbs 4, 18. You there? Here the Bible says about this increasing 
light and increasing darkness. He says, But the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Hallelujah. It's an increasing light. I'm, I'm not... The church, if you're a part of the revival church of the last days, you're not diminishing in light. The church is increasing. It shines more and more unto the perfect day. But then he says, verse 19, the way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. Side by side. Increasing light. But running along parallel to that increasing light in the last days is increasing darkness. Two streams flowing at the same time. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, I've preached prophecy for a little bit in my life. And at times I wrestled with how can both be happening at the same time? It's because they do. They run parallel. Negative signs and positive signs the Lord gave that point through His coming. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. In Isaiah 60, go there. Isaiah 60. Verses 1 through 3. You okay out there? I know this is a little different for Sunday night. Normally we're just like, for us it's party time. Isaiah 60 verse 1, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and His glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. So an ever-increasing light upon the church, arise and shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. And then he turns right around and he says, gross darkness, darkness, gross darkness of the people. Two streams running parallel at the same time. Hallelujah. This could be one of the best messages I've ever preached to this church, ever. I know it's your timely right now. It's not an untimely message. It's not an untimely fig. You, you know, sometimes you preach things that doesn't apply. It, it, you know, it's like an untimely fig. It falls off. And, but tonight's not an untimely fig. It's right on time. I guess that's why I feel it's, it's one of the best things I've, I've spoken to you. Not, not about me, but I'm just saying because it's timely. It's important for us to get this. Hallelujah. Look at you and say, are you an end time sign? Look at your neighbor and tell him, are you an end time sign? Negative sign or are you a positive sign? See, at first, when we talked about the negative signs, nobody here wanted to be an end time sign. Right? Did you, Brother Patrick? No? And then we start talking about the positive sign. Who wants to be an end time sign now? I do. And you and I make that choice. 
So the Bible tells us it's going to be a church of Philadelphia and a church of Laodicea at the same time, running side by side, light and darkness, ever increasing light, ever increasing darkness at the same time. You understand that? Wheat and tares. Yes, the Bible talks about an, a latter rain outpouring of His Spirit upon an end time church. You need to understand that when the rain falls, it doesn't just cause the wheat to grow. The rain that falls that causes the wheat to grow James chapter 5 says the husband is waiting patiently until the former and the latter rain come. That brings in the harvest. We read it to you already. When the rain falls, the wheat grows, but so do the tares. That's why you see it. You know what I mean? The tares, they're getting big too. The golden grain of God's people is growing as He pours out His Spirit. But then you look over and you see a tear and it's growing too. Because the same rain that caused the wheat to grow causes the tear to grow. Just a different harvest. In closing, what is the purpose for us to hear messages about the signs of the coming of the Lord that precede His coming negative and positive? Why is it important for us to know about the coming of the Lord? Because it is to inspire us to live holy. It's to inspire us to live godly. You know, hear what I'm saying? Like somebody might have the question, why do you preach prophecy? Why do you preach these things, the signs of the coming of the Lord? Why do you preach the coming of the Lord? What's the, the practical application of that? Other than just letting the church Jesus know Jesus is fixed to come back? Just let the church know Jesus is coming back? No. There's more to it. It's because when you know that, it will cause you to live godly. That's the practical application of preaching the coming of the Lord is godly living. Holiness of life. Let's go over to 1 John 3. 1 John 3. Praise the Lord, church. First John 3, 2-3. Hallelujah. You guys back there might be a little warm. And, and, and there's a reason for that. That air conditioner went out, alright? So you, if you want to move, you can. And get in a nice, cool place. First John 3, 2-3. Appreciate Brother Mark. He's got an eagle eye. He saw some abnormality with the AC. Come straight to my office. Thank God for it. It could have blown up. First John three two through three. Hallelujah. Y'all all right? Will somebody read it for me? Here I'm trying to I'm trying to preach in my mind and turn in the Bible at the same time. It's hard to do, brother boss. Please, First John. 3, 2 through 3. Listen to what it says. Purifies himself even as he is pure. When you hear preaching about the coming of Jesus, there are signs that are preceding his coming. 
is that you might purify yourself even as He is pure. If you've got that hope. Hope. It'll cause you to live godly. It'll cause you to live holy. Hallelujah. If, it, if the preaching of the second coming doesn't cause you to live godly and holy, then it's not applied correctly. Very quickly, Jesus said, we already preached those three parables of Jesus. What were they about? Watching. Watching. You preach about the second coming of Jesus, practical application. Purify yourself. Godly living. Watch. Make sure that you have a supply of oil. Come on. Does this message encourage you to watch? Does this message encourage you to make sure you have a supply of oil? Matthew 25, does it inspire you to be faithful with your talents? Use your talents for the glory of God. Matthew 25 as well. Amen. Does it inspire you to be awake? Mark 13, 32 through 37. Because you don't know what watch he's coming. So we got to be awake. Okay. The preach gets on me. You know, I just want to preach it, but I want you to get it. If the Lord tells me in relationship to his second coming to be awake, that means he's simply saying this do not go to sleep spiritually. Don't let slumber come on you. Get up out of your sleep. If you're not awake tonight, get up and get awake. Do not be asleep spiritually in this last hour. We got to wake up spiritually. Amen. I don't want to be asleep spiritually. Amen. That stupor come on you. Now we get tired physically, right? We all do. But we don't want to get tired spiritually. We don't want to sleep. We have to be awake for His coming. That's the practical application of preaching. It's to encourage the believers. 2 Timothy 2 through 12. 2 Timothy 2 through 12. Uh, 2 Timothy 2 12. Excuse me. When you're being persecuted, you're suffering. It's the message that will encourage somebody that's in the church that might be suffering tonight. Can you imagine how those Iraqis, Christians, professing Christians in Iraq, surrounded by the enemy, threatening to kill them, and then all of a sudden the United States of America flies over, drops a bomb on the ISIS movement, kills, amen, the enemy? How the Christian would thank God, thank you Jesus for sitting in hell. We've been praying for help. Finally we have help. Thank you, Lord, that I didn't see my baby beheaded.
There's a greater encouragement than that, and that's that the Lord is coming back. So when you're being persecuted and you're suffering, that message will encourage you. It encourages you to keep on going. Keep on living for it. Keep on being faithful. Stay awake. Stay alert. Be awake. Use your talents for the glory of God. Purify yourself. Nothing like some people get afraid when you preach prophecy. They get awful. You don't care. No, but no, it's to encourage the believer. That's why God gave the book of Revelation to the church. A church that would go through end time suffering and persecution. Don't apostatize when it comes. Be encouraged. It won't last long. Continue to be faithful. Overcome. 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 So it's to encourage the believer, 2 Timothy 2.12, it's warning to the ungodly. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-10. through 10. Warning to the ungodly. The judgments, very quickly, I'm not going to go through all of them, but connected to the coming of the Lord after a time of probation. Man is on probation right now. And after that time of probation, there will be judgment. And what a judge is, is he, he, a judge. How, how many of you have ever faced a judge before? I have. What pastor do? I tell him. <laughs> but I've been before a judge before. And I will tell you something. There's something about those guys. I've, I've never been to the, the liberal judges. I've never faced them. But the ones here in Texas, West Texas, there's something about those guys. Most of those guys have a lot of discernment. You know, and and you stand before them, and and they just have the ability to discern right and wrong in you. The right and wrong of a situation. That's what a judge does. He discerns the right and wrong of something. And so when the Lord comes back, He's going to judge. He knows the right and wrongs of every one of us. And Amen. So when He comes back, after that time of probation, He will judge. He will render verdicts based on what's right and wrong. Now, there's a judgment. I'm just going to deal with judgments this way. Past, present, and future. That's, the, what I, that's all I'm going to focus on tonight. Past judgment. When, where God rendered judgment and verdicts in the past. He rendered a verdict of judgment on the serpent in the Garden of Eden. He rendered a verdict of judgment upon Adam and Eve. He rendered a verdict on Cain. Are you with me? He rendered a verdict on the Tower of Babel. He rendered a verdict on Sodom and Gomorrah. He rendered a verdict or judgment on Egypt. He rendered a verdict of judgment on Korah. He rendered a verdict of judgment on Cain. He rendered a verdict of judgment on Achan. He rendered a verdict of judgment on Sapphira and Ananias. Ananias and Sapphira. He rendered a judgment on his own people. Sent him into captivity. That's past judgments. What is the present judgment? How does God judge right now? There's two aspects of God's judgment right now. In the present uh, time. You with me? Correction. In this present time, God judges 
by way of correction. Let's go to Corinthians. In Corinthians chapter 11, Hallelujah. Sister Baby, you didn't know you put a weapon on my desk. I already found a bullet. It's a good bullet, though. First Corinthians chapter 11. You ready? The present judgment from God is corrective. It's to restore. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31. It says... For if we should judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are what? Chastened of the Lord. That we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat and tarry one for another. Anyway, so what he's saying right here, the present judgment upon the believer is corrective. Now, if we judge ourselves and we repent of our sin, the Bible is very clear. We're not judged. But if we are judged, how does God judge us? What is His judgment? Is it punitive? I mean, does He judge us and send us to hell? No. He chastises us. So His judgment right now in the church is corrective. It's, it chastises us for to restore. The purpose of it is to restore. Okay? Oh, hallelujah. So I experience the judgment of God in my life if I refuse to repent. And I'm chastised. He corrects me. I'm His Son. He corrects me. So I can be recovered. Does that make sense to you? So whenever the church, the, the authority of God in the church when the church disciplines its members that is biblical judgment it's present judgment it's chastisement let me say again discipline in the church is chastisement for the purpose of correction isn't that beautiful Sister Bibi put this, I asked her yesterday, well, she volunteered, I don't think I asked her, she volunteered to let me see a book she's studying on the Hebrew language. And you know how I am, I love black holes. And I love to study black holes. I preached on black holes not long ago, and I opened the book, boom, right there. Talk about black holes. Now that's got my attention. And I talked to you briefly about um, the, the Hebrew word koshek. You remember that? Koshek. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. Okay, Koshek. And so, anyway, I'm reading about darkness in the Bible, the Hebrew word Koshek. Listen what it says. So the Hebrew word for darkness is Koshek. This word derives from the root, which essentially means deprivation, avoiding of, and sparing. Thus, the Bible refer relates to a father who does not spank his child, he that spares, you with me? His rod hates his son. And so the word spare is koshek. Because he deprives his son 
or spares his son from discipline, it is darkness. So he that spares, Koshek, his rod hates his son. Proverbs 13.24 A person who has no cure is described in Hebrew as Kashut, Kashut, and Warpe means cureless. You with me here? So, when God corrects His Son, He doesn't want to violate His own Word. If He spares us from being corrected, He commits koshet, darkness. If God corrects you, if God disciplines you, if God chastises you, me, then He's not depriving me. Amen? He's delivered me from darkness. And a father that will not correct his son spares his son. The word spare, koshek, kosheks his son. Brings darkness to him. You remember a couple of weeks ago we preached about Eli sitting on his throne and the ark of God was captured. He fell over backwards and broke his neck. And one of the main things that God had against Eli, that priest, was he did not correct his children. So when God corrects us, it's to remove the darkness out of our life. Isn't that beautiful? So, anyway, the whole point is the present, present judgment is for corrective purposes. It's for restorative purposes. He chastises us. And she put that on my desk so I could look at it. Now, I'm going to find out how to order this, Sister Baby, because I'm going to get this book. Now, and don't tell anybody else what the name of it is. Oh, is this? Oh. Oh, she gave it to me. <laughs> Woo. Thanks for letting her, Brother Thomas. Hallelujah. Now I'm going to hide this thing. Thank you, Sister B, Brother Thomas. I appreciate that. Amen. You know, and... And so I'm thinking about this message, the present judgment of God, and it's corrective, you know. And I open that up, and right there it is. It explains why God corrects us. Why He does not spare us, koshek us, put us in darkness, or deprive us. He's a good God. Say amen. Hallelujah. So the present judgment is for corrective purposes, restoration purposes, but also... 1 Peter chapter 4. I promise you I'm almost finished. I know. I'm aware. I'm aware. 1 Peter 4. How many of y'all love the Lord? So when He comes... There's a past judgment, present judgment. 1 Peter 4, 17. Somebody help me. Would you get it? 
First Peter four seventeen. Please read it. Seventeen and eighteen. Who wants to read it? Lift your hand. Don't don't read on top of each other, brother. Just size. Please read. Okay. For the time must for the time has come that judgment must be say judgment. That's present judgment. Must begin at the house of God. And if it first began at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? Okay, you see that? So the present judgment, it begins at the house of God. Isn't that beautiful? God corrects us. God judges us. God spanks us. He chastises us. Thank God for it. Amen. And it stings. It stings. It hurts. Now, if you don't receive that correction, then there's a judgment that takes place when you die. And it's called the judgment of damnation. Don't want anything to do with that. That's real. Present judgment. Corrective in the church. Restorative in the church. Damnation upon the person when they die if they're not a believer. And the future judgment deals with His second coming. Satan and his host are cast uh, into judgment. Revelation 20. The ungodly man is judged. Jude 14. From Jude 14 on. Okay, praise the Lord. All right, His second coming. You with me? Okay, in closing. The future judgment for the church is where we receive rewards. Romans 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when you have time, look at the judgment seat of Christ called the Bema in the Greek. The Bema seat, Amen. It was an elevated seat in the Colosseum where they could watch the Olympic Games. And they would sit up on that Bama seat, that elevated seat, and watch the games. And whoever got first place would come by to the Bama seat, the Bema. And they would receive wreaths, rewards for victories in athletics. And the Bible says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That word judgment seat is the Bema seat. And when the believer stands before Jesus Christ, Amen. amen. Are you an end time sign? If you're, a po- if you're an end time sign in a positive way, there's rewards coming. If you endure the chastening of the Lord, there's rewards coming. You allow yourself to be corrected. Amen. To get the darkness out of you. There's rewards coming. And they're called crowns. And there's five of them in the New Testament. There's a crown called the crown of life. Revelation 2.10. And that is a crown that's given to the martyrs. Crown of life. Somebody that's willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't earn their salvation by dying, but they will receive that crown of life. They love not their life unto the death. And to them was given the crown of life. 
So that's a martyr's crown. You know, there's some people that refuse to be set free. They refuse to be delivered. They, they would have rather be martyred and die for Jesus Christ so they could get that crown. There were, new there were Christians that they could be delivered. They could go free. But they said, we don't want to. We want to die for Him. We want that crown. Crown of life. It's a crown of glory. First uh, Peter 5, 2-4. And that crown of glory is given to faithful shepherds. All right? Faithful pastors, faithful shepherds of the shepherds of the flock, receive a crown of glory. Amen. A crown of rejoicing. First Thessalonians two nineteen through twenty. The crown of rejoicing is the soul winner's crown. Crown. First Thessalonians two nineteen through twenty. How many of you want that crown? You can get more than one. If you end up being martyred, you get a martyr's crown, crown of life. If if you're a soul winner, you get a soul winner's crown. Praise the Lord. Crown of rejoicing. Hallelujah. Paul talked about the church. Are you not my crown of rejoicing? That is that is coming. You know the fact that he had won them to the Lord. Crown of rejoicing. Holy living. 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. I want to turn to that one and look at it real carefully. 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up a crown of righteousness. It's called the crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at the day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Okay? So, because it's called a crown of righteousness, it has to be connected with righteousness, holy living. Okay? So that crown is for holy living. How many sometimes y'all struggle? It's hard in it to, to, to live holy, separate in this world. Then you're going to receive a crown if you do. It's called the crown of righteousness. And it's, the Bible says also it's given to those that love His appearing. You would think that that's the easiest crown to get is that it's going to be given to people that love His appearing. But you'd be surprised how many people in the church if they found out the Lord was coming back tonight, how many people in the church tonight would not be happy. Because they haven't got married yet. Now, now, after they get married, even so, come Lord Jesus. After about six months, you know what I mean? After about six months, even so, come Lord Jesus. <laughs> I'm honest. I've been there. I remember when me and Sister Christina were seeing each other when we were thinking about getting married, you know. I'm thinking, Lord, just don't come until we get just Let me get married to Sister Christina, and then after I get married to Sister Christina, then you can come. 
And that's been almost 30 years ago. He still hasn't come. So now she says, even so, come Lord Jesus. So anyway, you'd be surprised how many people do not love His appearing. But the crown of righteousness is for those who live a holy life. And love is appearing. And then there's an incorruptible crown. 1 Corinthians 9.25. Let's turn there. The last one. 1 Corinthians 9.25. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Under control. Temperate. They're striving for the mastery. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. So, you keep yourself under control because you're striving for the mastery. Amen? You're, you're competing in a race. You want to win it. And uh, if you keep yourself under control, hallelujah, you'll receive an incorruptible crown. Now, this incorruptible crown obviously is available to all the redeemed. An incorruptible crown. Maybe I'm preaching to somebody here tonight that you're going to... Maybe somebody who will end up, end up being a pastor, you'll also receive the shepherd's crown. You may be martyred. You may be a soul winner. You may live a holy life. You may keep yourself under control and receive an incorruptible crown. You may receive all five crowns. Maybe some here will receive four. Some three. I don't know how many are going to receive. But remember, when you talk about the coming of the Lord and the signs that precede that coming, remember, there's judgments. And one of those judgments is reward for the church. It's not to determine whether or not you're saved. The good news is that if Brother Jonathan Lemons makes it in the rapture and he stands before the Lord at the famous seat and he's getting rewarded, brother, you can shout and dance and do the shuffle because it's not a judgment that determines whether or not you're saved. You know you're saved. It, it's a judgment that determines your reward. Different crowns, five crowns. And obviously, even the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation, the wedding garment of the bride. You're also making up your own wedding garment right now. It's called the righteousnesses of the saints. How beautiful is your garment? So there's five crowns. There's different levels of glory. Different levels of glorification. And... Uh, I pray that everybody here has a just an awesome wedding gown. You're sewing right now. It's made up of the righteousness of the saints. My wife's been telling me, she, he, she said, have you seen the sisters' clothes? I said, I really haven't been paying that much attention, but she said, y'all are really getting good. You can, some of these sisters in here can take blue jean pants and turn them into a blue jean skirt. That's awesome. Amen. 
But right now, you're making your wedding garment. I'm making my wedding garment. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor, and as we close, please stand and ask them, are you an end time sign? I appreciate you. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you right now for your awesome word tonight, Lord, as we see the negative and the positive signs all around us. We look forward to your return, to your coming. God, give us the strength, Lord, to endure correction when we need to be corrected and to, be, to prepare, Father, and to live in such a way that we'd be pure, using our talents, awake, plenty oil supplied. Amen. That we would be rewarded, Lord, not for our glory, but for yours. With crowns that you promised you would give to your people at the Bama seat. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.